0: You are listening to Books Are My People, a podcast for book lovers with book news, recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary life in Los Angeles. I am recording on June 17th. Summer is here, and I'm officially done teaching for the quarter. We don't have a ton of plans, but heading to hockey camp in Lake Tahoe in July, and then we'll see where we end up after that. So far, I've been enjoying the slower start to our mornings, My older son started online driving school, which is sort of terrifying and exciting at the same time, and they're both just spending a lot of time outdoors. I've been really into researching time management lately because there are just not enough hours in the day to get done what I'd like to get done. I wear many hats in my working life. I'm an author, a book reviewer, which means I'm also a voracious reader. I'm a manuscript editor for other people's writing projects, a writing instructor at UCLA Extension Writers Program, and a podcaster for fun. So in order to fit all of that in and spend all the time with my family and friends that I want, I'm always looking at ways in which to economize my time. I know I've talked about using the Pomodoro method on this podcast as a way of getting tasks done, but lately I've been taking it even further and honestly I can't tell if doing all the prep work to plan my days and get organized is taking longer than the actual tasks that I have to get done. Do you have any great time management tips for me? If so, please email me at booksaremypeople at gmail.com. I finished season two of Lupin. I mean, in what world does five episodes make a season? I don't get it. It went by so quickly. It seems totally cruel and unfair that it is over the show incorporates Maurice LeBlanc's beautiful book series, The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsene Lupin, Gentleman Burglar. So of course, I had to order the first book in the series, which was written in 1907. And we started reading it last night. And it's so fun. Has anyone out there listening read any of these books? And if so, what did you think? Send me an email. Now I'm on to hacks. I only watch TV when I work out, so if I get hooked on a show, it is excellent motivation. And now it's time for some bookish news. Since I do live in Los Angeles, I'll start with some book-to-screen news. Crying in H Mart will be a film with author Michelle Zoner adapting her memoir and providing the soundtrack for the film via her music act, Japanese Breakfast. Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid is also being adapted as a series for Hulu. And Netflix has renewed Shadow and Bone for a second season. I think I shared that I watched the first season and I thought it was a really great adaptation and beautifully done. My next guest is Ellen Burkett Morris, the author of Lost Girls, a collection of short stories called A Varied Set of Tales from a Skilled Practitioner of the Short Form by Kirkus Reviews. Her fiction has appeared in Shenandoah, Antioch Review. Notre Dame Review, South Carolina Review, and Santa Fe Literary Review, among other journals. Her poetry can be found in the chapbooks Surrender, published by Finishing Line Press, and Abide, which is forthcoming from Seven Kitchen Press. She is a winner of the Bevel Summers Prize for Short Fiction. So hello, Ellen. Hi. Where are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from Louisville, Kentucky. Oh,
1: how's the weather there? You know, we've got a cloudy overcast day today, which is just fine with me because we've had a a beautiful week of a lot of sunshine. And so it's a
0: a kind of a typical Monday here. (laughs) That's how I feel. I like the cool weather. I know everyone in Los Angeles wants it to get really hot. And every time there's cloud coverage, I'm very happy. Can you tell us about your short fiction collection Lost Girls, which I have read and absolutely adored? Oh, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, it's it's a collection of short stories about all centered around the lives of women and girls. Uh, the women and girls are from a fictional eastern Kentucky town of Slocum. And each of them has a little bit of something that's a, a little bit different about them. So I've got a story about a, uh, a Virgin who wants to start a hobby. She goes into a she thinks she's going into a decoupage club, and she ends up in a breastfeeders meeting. And all the people there are so warm and friendly that she decides to stay. She stays in the meeting. She comes back later. She creates a fictional child. Uh, and and so, and then I've got another story about an aging beauty queen who's really mourning her lost youth, but who sort of finds a way um by connecting with others to integrate the you know, the current day her with the younger her. um and uh, i've I've also got a story in there about a young woman who alternately sort of envies and also mourns uh, another a girl who was kidnapped from her neighborhood, and so ultimately she finds a way to remember that girl every year. so uh, it, you know, I really consider it um a look at at kind of a deep dive into the lives of women and girls. And even though it's called Lost Girls, I hope that for many of the stories what we find is some degree of, of redemption and some degree of finding ourselves and finding our tribe
0: and that sort of thing. Definitely. And I think connection to others or the the craving to connect with others is also a recurring theme there. Um, and speaking of recurring themes, coming to terms with circumstance and experience with loneliness, alienation, sometimes secrets, and as I mentioned, connection did you set out to write a cohesive collection or did this sense of cohesion come together on its own as the stories were being written?
1: You know, I think, I think in large part they, it came together on its own. I think that every writer has, uh, has the, an agenda and it's an agenda that sort of comes from their own experiences being human and the things they've struggled with and the things they want to understand better. And, um, you know, for me, that was a lot of these issues. You mentioned loneliness, alienation, secrets, being seen. Um, being, you know, authenticity, those kinds of questions, and I find that no matter what I'm writing, you know, whether it's uh, poetry or fiction or even sometimes personal essays, I tend to have some of these same items on my agenda. And so, you know, what I did is I wrote this story separately, and and at some point it did occur to me that I had in my head this fictional town. Um, but but when I pulled them all together, what really rang out to me was that was that I covered that I was working some of the same ground here from story to story. And uh, and so I thought that, you know, the, the organic nature of how that comes together, I'm really fascinated by that, and I think it really works. And then I think as a writer, my job was like, now I need to come up with a title that will really encapsulate this for people, and it will give them a sense of what they're picking up when they pick up the book at the bookstore or when they order it online.
0: Well, reading your stories reminded me that short stories can in fact, be short. You do a wonderful job of economizing your words and you manage to pack so much into sometimes just a handful of pages. What short fiction writers have influenced you the most?
1: You know, I think the the obvious one on the face of it would be Ernest Hemingway, who was able to really, uh, really do a lot of a uh, lot of work in in a very short, you know, a few number of words, and who liked simple sort of declarative sentences that and and who used objects as stand-ins. Uh, for emotions in ways that could carry a lot of weight and carry a lot of emotion but he wasn't but he wasn't taking a long time putting that on the page and so i, I do i am fascinated by his work although it is you know more um sort of Male dominated than than anything I'm interested in, but his technique intrigues me. I, you know, I also I, I really when I was growing up, reading the work of the of the writer Bobby Ann Mason, uh, her short stories. You know, really let me know that the world would be interested in short stories about people who say come from Kentucky. You know, she's a Kentucky writer, and um, and so I was really fascinated by her work. And then you know when I went and got an MFA, I went to Queens University and. Charlotte, North Carolina, and I got to write to uh, work with the writer Susan Pirabo, and she is somebody whose stories just—the um, main thing about them th- that makes them so intriguing for me is that her characters are so authentic. And you know, it, you ask yourself that question—you know, do I believe this? Could this be real? Are these people real to me? And and with her, there was never a question that they were.
0: I hadn't heard of Bobby Ann Mason, but I will have to check her out. Have you heard of Lydia Davis? Have you read any of her work?
1: Oh gosh, yes I have. And that's fascinating too, what she's able to do. Um yeah, it it's sort of out hemingway, Hemingway. She's got
0: her own thing going there that's really fantastic. Well that's who I thought of when I when I read your stories. That's I, I thought of Lydia Davis. Yeah, just they're just so clever in, in that clever way of, you know, packing so much into a few pages it just astounded me really as a fellow writing instructor I'm wondering how you keep your teaching fresh and how you see your role as instructor yeah
1: you know I try to bring I try to bring uh new new writing into the classroom as examples of things you know so I'm always seeking out uh new current work that we might look at to examine how they do certain things and then I guess the other thing I really try to do is um To look at myself as a facilitator for discussion, and really primarily, uh, you know, when in, in classes where we do workshopping, facilitator for discussion of their work, for what they bring to, to the room, and and so getting us, getting everybody, getting the other students in a mindset where we can talk about, you know, what works for you specifically. Why does it work? Have you seen it before? Uh, how might you take this same sort of approach in your own writing? Because I think uh, I think it's all been done in, in many ways. And so part of our job as writers is to look for how it's been done and to really deconstruct that and and then see if we can't use those same sort of approaches or those same sort of tools to make our writing better. So, so yeah, I really want to guide people to good writing. I want to be able to help them sort of deconstruct what's involved there and then and talk about
0: how to take that away and, and use that themselves when they sit down to write. I teach creative writing as well, and I know it can be a difficult balance to fit it all in, but what does your writing routine look like?
1: Yeah, um, you know, what, my routine is, is pretty varied because I also do contract work for a local uh, a, uh, feminist women 's foundation uh, that supports yeah it supports feminist artists in Kentucky and uh, we've got a lot of su- surprisingly exciting sort of i shouldn 't say surprisingly we've got a lot of exciting work being stuff being created here that's geared towards social change, and so I do work publicizing the uh, projects of feminist social change artists in kentucky so so i have I have writing time i have uh paid work time i have Several writing groups that I'm involved in, and so I've got time that's dedicated to doing that, and then of course, time uh, that's dedicated to the to the teaching that I do. Um, But, you know, I I always, I'm I'm not, I don't write every day, but I would say that I read every day. I, I, you know, either read to write reviews or to do author interviews, which is another kind of sideline I've got, or I read good writing myself with an eye towards what I can learn from it. And then there are other days, you know, that are just completely days where, you know, I'm working on my own stuff, free and clear, and then I found that during the pandemic, really, for me, revision was was it seems to be the only thing
0: I could focus on during that period, and so I did a lot of that. I know you have a poetry collection coming out soon. What are you working on now?
1: Yeah, right now I'm doing a couple different things. I've got a, two uh, two novels that I consider complete. And so one of them I'm sending out to independent presses in hopes of finding a home. And it's the story of a mother whose child has past life memories and also of the soldier whose memories the child has, told in alternating chapters. Uh, And then my second thing is more commercial. It's really the story of a a female astronomer in Hawaii and a discovery that happens there. And uh, so I'm actually sending that out to agents and hoping to find... Uh, the right person to represent that so uh, having having those th- doing that sort of work I've also you know you've, eventually you've got to get back to writing and so I've started writing short stories again and um, so far in the last several months I've written two short stories and they both uh, are themed they're home themed which is kind of funny it's like oh I've been stuck here for a year or more and now I'm writing about it so uh, so, so dream homes, uh, lost homes. Uh, stolen homes, you know, different sort of, different sort of takes on the idea of home, uh, you know, filtered through particular characters. And so, I have a feeling that if I keep going this way, I may have another collection on my hands
0: in it in several years. We'll see. We'll see what comes up. But... That sounds fantastic. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. You sound like one of the busiest writers we've had on the show, wearing so many different hats. And I can totally relate. Everyone listening should go out and get themselves a copy. Of Ellen Burkett Moritz, Lost Girls. And of course, I will leave a link to all of her published work in the show notes. And now we're going to move on to the books. Ellen has brought a few selections with her, but I'm going to start us off with Clara and the Sun, by Kazuo Ishiguro and this came out in March of 2021 and you're probably familiar with Ishiguro's name from books of his such as Remains of the Day and Never Let Me Go and in Clara and the Sun we first meet Clara when she's in a store window as merchandise for sale. She's an AF or artificial friend that has been created to be a companion for children The story is told from Clara's point of view, which is that of a nascent child learning and observing the changing rules of the world around her, waiting, hopefully, to be adopted by a family. But she is of a make and model that has some glitches, so other AFs in the store are definitely getting adopted or sold ahead of her. But finally, her day comes, and a girl named Josie chooses Clara to be her companion, The story is set in the not-so-distant future, where people are post-employed and technology runs the world. This is not a fast-paced, plotty book. Much of the story is made up of Clara's keen observations of the weak Josie, in particular, who's suffering from some sort of illness. But also, the book is filled with observations about humanity that are so beautifully expressed on the page, I felt teary-eyed throughout a lot of this novel. Clara reflects back on our shortcomings as human beings, but also celebrates the many mysteries and small moments that make life beautiful. And again, that is Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro. Ellen, what is your first pick? Oh gosh, um, mine is Euphoria by Lily King,
1: and it's a book that it's a fictional accounting of a, of a female scientist and a love triangle that she's involved with. And I think that that when she created the character, she was really thinking a lot about Margaret Mead and her experiences. And um, so, uh, she, so what what we've got is we've got a, a field trip uh, to the uh, Sepik River in New Guinea. And uh, it, which was which was Mead's experience with her second husband, where she uh, ran into a man who would become her third husband, who was an Engla- English anthropologist. And so uh, uh, King has created fictional characters based on that scenario. And what makes it so intriguing is that, that there's a lot of pressure because they're in the wild, and because you know the settings are so exotic, and there are, there are sort of uh, you know different kinds of plants and different kinds of animals around and there aren't a lot of people around. And and so it's sort of this sense of, like, how people behave when, when you know, there isn't anybody enforcing society's rules and that sort of thing. And it's just, it's so vividly drawn. I mean, Lily King does such a great job of putting you in the character's body as certain things are happening. You know, that you, you know, you can, it, it elicits all those sort of sensory uh thing that where you can sort of smell, you know, smell what's happening, see what's happening, you can sort of hear the sounds of the jungle. I mean, it's really vividly, vividly drawn. And um, yeah, I just I found it was one of those books when you're looking to get lost in a book,
0: it really, really worked that way for me. It's uh, Euphoria by Lily King. I love that book. I read it when it first came out. And I absolutely loved it. It's wonderful. And you do, you just get lost in it. And I think it actually, I can relate it back to Clara and the Sun, which also kind of just talks about humanity, you know, it's sort of a, a cultural anthropology kind of look at, at humankind, in a way, I think both of those books have that in common. My next pick is The Girls I've Been by Tess Sharp. And this came out in January of this year. This is a young adult novel, and as an instructor who teaches writing the young adult novel, I'm always eagerly looking for great examples to use in the class. I don't have a suspense novel in my curriculum, so I was thrilled to discover this book, and I will be adding it to my course reading for next year. In this novel, teenager Nora O'Malley has been a lot of girls over the years, as the daughter of a con artist mother whom she has now put behind bars. But things really get complicated when she and her ex-boyfriend Wes and her current girlfriend, Iris, walk into a bank to deposit some cash for the school fundraiser. The tension between the three of them is already sky high because Wes, the ex-boyfriend, found out about Nora's new relationship when he walked in on Nora and Iris making out. But things are about to get even more tense when two men come into the bank to rob it, holding the six other people in the bank hostage. The robbers had assumed that the manager of the bank would be there to let them into the safe but when the manager never shows up, the robbers go berserk. The now of the story is the bank robbery and the complicated dynamics between Nora, Wes, and Iris, and the many secrets Nora has been keeping from them. And I love a story that takes place over a compressed amount of time. And the then chapters alternate with different parts of Nora's difficult life inhabiting multiple identities in the past that have led her to this moment. I'm excited to share that this novel is being adapted by Netflix and will star Millie Bobby Brown, whom I think is just perfect for the role of Nora. I love this book so much. It's part bank heist, action, part romance, part mystery, and just really a fun page turner. And again, that's The Girls I've Been by Tess Sharp.
1: What do you have next for us? Abide With Me by Elizabeth Strout, and this is, of course, the author of Olive Kittredge, but Abide With Me is one of her earlier books and a much less well-known book. And and it's a really beautiful, sad story of a... Uh, minister who lives in a small town, a minister named Tyler Caskey, who has a daughter, and his wife dies, and it's sort of what happens to him after his wife dies. And and you know um, Elizabeth Strout really often will take a look at small town life and sort of the pressures uh, exerted on people based on you know them living in these small communities and and the expectations people have for each other. And this book is no different. You know this minister is really in the throes of grieving for his wife who died, and his child is having these behavior problems. And and everywhere he turns, people ex- and especially because he's the minister, people expect uh, certain kinds of behavior out of him. And it's sort of him, you know, uh, the reality of his grief bumping up against him the expectation of his neighbors and how he navigates the waters of grief. And I actually read this book when my own father was... um, was dying of prostate cancer and uh, you know it made me think a little bit about the journey of people who, who are terminally ill and sort of the expectations people have for them you know as they're as they're taking their own personal journey and trying to navigate those waters you know we, we you know we look to them to, to to talk to us to say goodbye perhaps to have discussions of forgiveness and and you know I think what they're trying to do is to figure out themselves you know how best to gracefully exit the world and and so it was a really interesting book to be reading at that point in time. And uh, I, I think that, that Strout really looks unflinchingly at tough elements of being human, and I also think that she does it with a certain amount of forgiveness and grace for her characters and for their shortcomings. And so uh, this was one that I really enjoyed, and, and for people who haven't read her earlier work,
0: I'd suggest they give it a shot. That's Abide With Me by Elizabeth Stroud. Sometimes books can get us through the most difficult moments. I haven't read this yet, but I'm definitely adding it to my list. So thank you. My final pick is The Plot by Jean Hanf Korlitz. And this came out in May. This is a true writer's novel. Anyone who has ever written anything or received, let's say, an MFA in creative writing will especially appreciate this book. The book starts when Professor Jacob Finch Bonner and his student Evan Parker do not see eye to eye in terms of what a teacher-student relationship should be. Evan Parker, who has already decided his nom de plume is going to be Parker Evan, has it in his head that he has written a highly sellable, surefire success of a novel of the likes no one has ever seen. He is super hyperbolic. Whenever he speaks of this book, he is writing. He's sort of going through the motions at the MFA program because he doesn't really feel like he needs any help. In fact, when he has his obligatory meeting with his instructor, Bonner, Evan Parker refuses to show him any of his work or even talk about the plot. This leaves Bonner frustrated beyond measure as he once had written a literary success of his own, and he's been struggling ever since to replicate another well-received book. He finds Evan Parker's arrogance astounding. After reading a little bit of what Parker has written, Bonner recognizes it is, in fact, a plot like no other. So when Evan Parker dies, and this is not a spoiler, it happens very early on in the book, Bonner wonders, what's the harm in stealing the plot that no one knows about? But of course, someone is on to his thieving. There's suspense, drama, tinges of the talented Mr. Ripley throughout. Frustrated writers, which I recognize is a redundant term, will enjoy and appreciate all of the talk about writing. And it's really an exploration about who owns ideas. And again, that is The Plot by Jean Hanf Korlitz. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Ellen. I urge you all to get your hands on a copy of Lost Girls. It's just fantastic. And where can people find you on social media?
1: So I, I have a website that is EllenBurquetteMorris.ink. I've, I'm on Facebook at Ellen Burquette Morris Writer. I'm on Twitter,
0: uh, Twitter at Burquette underscore Morris. And I'm on Instagram at Ellen Burkett Morris. I'll leave a link to all of these in the show notes. So thank you so much for speaking with us.
1: Thank you. It's been a real pleasure.
0: And I've I've so enjoyed uh, learning about the the your book recommendations. Yours as well. Next up for me is the new Mona Awad novel, All's Well, that comes out in August. Ellen, what's up next for you? So interesting. Claire and the Sun. Okay. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to it, especially based on what you had to say today.
0: Let me know what you think when you're done. Will do. I'll be back in two weeks. And in the meantime, I hope you all have a wonderfully bookish week.